Hi everyone and welcome to the PLMR podcast. I'm Isabella Perales, part of the PLMR education practice and today we're going to be looking at the importance of teaching relationships and sex education in schools. I'm delighted to be joined today by Laura Corrington, member of PLMR and sex education activist and Sean Green, a teacher in London who specialises in philosophy. Thanks so much for joining me today. Please do introduce yourself and give us a bit of background. Hi, Bella. Thank you so much for having us. Um, yeah, it's really a great subject. I'm excited to talk more about it. So basically, I first started to kind of delve into the RSE world um, when I started a campaign called about tampon tax um, and, ta- and the 5% you know, luxury rate that we used to pay on period products. Um, and then I started going to schools, talking about, you know, campaigning and sexism and that kind of thing in schools. And I just realised that so much of, you know, misunderstandings about periods is down to just schools not having enough resources to deliver really good sex ed um, that, you know, like enables all students to feel knowledgeable about things and confident about subjects like periods, like consent um, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, in 2019, started um, a social enterprise called Sex Ed Matters um, with Sean as the co-founder. He's obviously here as well. And yeah, since then, just been going into schools and doing like these talks um, as well. So, yeah, to you, Sean. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Laura. And thank you, Isabella, for having me. Um, my name is Sean Green, and I am passionate about equality starting in education. I read philosophy at university and then completed the Teach First program in 2016. And then after three years working in finance, I was really keen to return to education, where um, before which I, I, meet, I met Laura and we co-founded Sex Ed Matters together because we're both passionate about tackling the taboos around some of the important changes that I know that Laura is going to talk through shortly. Um, and I now am in the classroom teaching philosophy and sociology in West London. Brilliant. Thanks so much both. I'm really delighted to be chatting to you today. As some of you will know, there have been some changes to the RSE curriculum in recent years. And this has meant that teachers and parents alike have had to adapt to that. So I think a good place to start would probably be to look at some of those changes. Can you tell us what are the what's new about the updated RSE curriculum um, and what's been great about those changes? Have there been things that, you know, you're you're really glad to be seeing? Laura, maybe if you kick us off. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, as you say, the new changes to the sex education curriculum are so exciting, um, partly because the curriculum hasn't been changed 20 years, which seems bizarre that something so important hasn't been updated for so long um, but Justine Green and she had updated it and um, she'd spent so much time consulting students and teachers and you know so many different people involved um, to try and figure out what was needed in schools nowadays and yeah she came up with this amazing new curriculum and the main additions um, have been that now all schools um, have to teach uh, subjects such as um, period education to all students, not just girls. Um, we also have to teach uh, mental health education as well as consent education, education around friendships and bullying, around trolling as well, um, harassment, all of these kind of more almost political um, parts of RSE that they've never really had to teach before. And they're so important, um, but it, it is a huge responsibility to have to teach these really you know, significant subjects. And it can feel quite overwhelming sometimes, I think, um, to try and you know have to teach these, especially because so many teachers who have to deliver the URC curriculum aren't given any extra training or resources to, to do it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, Sean, you want to talk about like why they're so good and, and that kind of thing from teachers' perspective? Yes, absolutely. As adults, we learn very 
the mental and the emotional benefits of being able to bring our full selves to work. And this curriculum really allows our young people to start to bring their full selves to school and to, to learn about themselves um, as part of that growing up process as they learn so about so many different aspects of, um, of other curriculums within the school building. And it's crucial that we create the space for young people to be able to learn about themselves and learn about uh, each other and the different natures of sex and relationship uh, education throughout their schooling career. And it's really, really exciting because as Laura touched on, uh, the guidance that, that was being used before today was last, uh, was last updated in 2000, the year 2000. Uh, so over two decades ago, this was even before the repeal of Section 28, the law which banned discussions of same-sex relationships in school. And as such, the guidance excluded LGBTQ plus people and families from bringing them, their, their full selves to work, their full selves to school. And it's really, really exciting to be able to talk about mental health, to talk about healthy friendships, to stamp out bullying, bullying in a meaningful and systematic way, to talk about periods, to talk about consent, and to talk about um, fa some families having two mums and some families having two dads and that being um, legal in schools. It's incredible. Brilliant. Um, Laura, did you want to discuss the sort of nature of um, schools? I mean, I know recently there's been an Ofsted report into harassment in schools, and that's obviously been very high profile in the media. I just wondered if you wanted to touch on that a little bit. I know that that's kind of in large part to do with this this new sort of curriculum. Yeah, definitely. So I think one of the um, really exciting parts of the new curriculum is that the consent education part of it. Um, and the ability of this part of the curriculum to stamp out sexual harassment in school, which, as you say, Ofsted found was widespread uh, across UK schools, which is terrifying. And it is so true um, that, you know, sexual harassment is just normalised in schools to the extent that kids don't necessarily recognise it as wrong or as, you know, anything but different, but normal. And for example, there's a school that I just went in today that said that exact same thing. The kids don't report sexual harassment because they don't recognise it as being bad. And another school I went into um, in June last year told me that they had seen um, one of the male students slap one of the female students on their bum as they came off the bus. And the worst part about it was that she didn't even respond because it was so normal for her. She just sort of like went on about her day as if nothing had happened. So yeah, that kind of culture is never going to change if we do nothing about it. So this curriculum, it really has so much power to change that and change that um, normalised nature of sexual harassment. I see. I mean, that's, of course, like a hugely challenging thing to have to deal with in a school um, for teachers, for the students themselves. How do you think teachers overcome the challenges of sort of dealing with with issues like that and and, you know, delivering this new curriculum in the context that they're working within? Um, Sean, I suppose you're a good, good point of reference for that as you sort of experience it on a daily basis. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think the key thing is that, you know, teachers and school staff are human people and, and, and the vast majority of teachers never explored these issues in school because this curriculum mm -hmm. is so exciting because it's so new. And so an important thing to note is that uh, teachers and school staff might um, struggle with the content of this policy personally in their personal lives, which is something that I don't think has necessarily been uh, emphasized in other areas. And so things that we've discussed, you know, consent, LGBTQ plus education, were not taught explicitly. And if they were taught, they were often taught by very bold and brave teachers and, and members of the staff body of our past. Um, and some of the issues that 
I think um, that we're, we're trying to tackle is that many teachers do feel ill-equipped as a result to discuss these issues. There's been, there has been, and there still is a lack of funding and training and support for teachers, as Laura mentioned, and certainly a lack of specialist teachers. And to be very clear, I'm, I'm a philosophy teacher in the classroom, but as a philosophy teacher where I actually don't explicitly teach any of the relationships and sex education um, in my lessons, it inevitably comes up because my classroom is made up of teenagers and, and young adults. And so consent is stressed in my lessons. And I know through this curriculum, I am, um, it is my job to do so. And having that responsibility and having that formality and the legitimacy to do that and to tackle homophobia um, head on and to tackle issues of consent or lack of consent more, more commonly is really, really empowering. Um, and it gives us teachers in the classroom formally and informally the authority to do so. So the challenges in answer to your question is, you know, policy changes take time to one, be implemented, and also sadly two, to be taken seriously by necessary stakeholders. So teachers as individuals, you know, myself included, have had those personal struggles with some of the content and some, element, um, some other elements of the curriculum for a myriad of different reasons. And so it's a team effort, parents and carers and leaders and governors and, and third party um, uh, social enterprises like Sex Ed Matters, all are working together to try and, uh, and tackle these issues in our day to day. There's another group that are sort of mixed up in this, I suppose. And I think that that's parents. I think they have, you know, a huge part to play in this. And obviously, it's that's quite a challenge that schools do face. How do you think they can be more involved? And do you think it's important that they are? How do you sort of address that challenge? Yes, absolutely think it's very important that, that parents and carers are involved. Um, and, and let's be clear, relationships and sex education is more nuanced than some of the core subjects at school, like English and maths. And as a result, the discussion around getting the content right and the appropriate delivery um, of the content is of crucial importance. And this is the first time so many of us are doing this. And so we need all the support we can get. And so from my personal perspective, parents and carers at home and teachers at school are on the same team. So we all want what is very best for the young person in our care. And so what that looks like in practice is clarity as to what is being taught and roughly when that will be the case. Regular communication with parents ensures that they're aware of the hard work that we're doing in school and they can support us where necessary at home and vice versa. And so what that looks like in an ideal world, um, a lot of this content is new. So I think it would be really fantastic if schools hold uh, information evenings for parents, you know, spaces where we can discuss these difficult things um, in person, ideally, and um, head on. You know, and of course, I want to underpin that with there are going to be cultural differences. There are going to be this... Um, content is hugely divisive because we haven't had the opportunity previously to discuss it. But I would really urge parents and carers and, and third party organizations like Sex Ed Matters and schools and school governors and I mean, every party a part of the system to work together to tackle the taboos, to work out what we disagree on and why, work out what we agree on and why, and essentially um, work on this team effort to achieve the best re results for our young people, because that's essentially what they deserve.
What's the reality of sort of teaching in practice? You know, what have lessons been like and, and, you know, how have students responded to you? Kind of what do you see? I mean, Laura, I know you go into schools and you sort of engage with students as well. What has your experience of, of that been too? Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, so we've done most of our um, Sex and Matters talks have been on consent. Um, so we've done a variety of schools. We've done like primary schools, we've done sixth forms, all boys schools, all girls schools, mixed schools, all different kinds. Um, so yeah, it's been really, really interesting. I think so far we found that when boys are by themselves, so when we go to all boys schools, um, that the younger boys are like shocked that sexual harassment is a thing. Obviously we explain it to them in, in a very, you know, like age appropriate way, um, but they still seem shocked when I was talking to them about like street harassment, for example, they were just, you know, you know, really surprised by it. Um, and they ask questions like how can they avoid doing that how can they what can they do to help stop this from being normalized they really want to help Um, but then when the boys get older especially when they come into year seven I think it becomes a lot more difficult because if young boys learn about consent when they're in year six and younger in a healthy way in a way that makes them feel empowered knowledgeable about the subject then that's great but if they learn about consent through falsehoods or like misinformation they find online or through like the general sort of lad culture that they grew up in then it's almost it's not too late but it's then really difficult to change their perspectives on things um because they've kind of learned it in the wrong way to begin with so that's why I think it's so important to have good consent education especially for boys in primary school um but in the mixed uh, six forms for example we've been in uh, the boys really really listen to what the you know all the other students have to say um which I found really interesting they I thought you know we might have to like try really hard to get them to understand and listen to other people's perspectives but that's absolutely not been the case they, they really want to be a part of the change which is really exciting you know for the future as well yeah Shan I don't know what you found speaking to your kids about these sort of issues it has been really uh, positive talking to my young people about these topics, especially surrounding relationships and families and, and the different makeups of families. I found that my young people are really inquisitive. They want to know. They know that there are differences between, for sake of argument, sex and gender, and they want to understand those differences. They want to be respectful on a whole, which has been really exciting um, and, and quite heartening to hear. They want to get it right. So if they're using pronouns, they want to make sure they're using the right pronouns. Um, They know that there are differences between uh, themselves and each other, and and they they want to make sure that they are accepting where they need to be. And they want to make sure that they understand the differences um, so they can be accepting. And as a whole, I think they've responded to, uh, specifically around the LGBTQ plus um, inclusion very, very well, and the consent education, especially around uh, online consent and the very real lived experiences that they, um, the very real experiences that they live through around trolling online and um, consent online and knowing that actually no really does mean no and that's okay. And as a teacher, I can say that in passing, you know, I can say, if you ever feel uncomfortable, come and talk to me again. And if you ever say no, that means no. And if someone doesn't respect that, you've got a voice, use it. And, and they, they visibly, I see them kind of slump in their seats and, and feel it's as if a weight has been taken off their shoulders. And this is, you know, in form time from year seven and eight, right the way up 
until A-level um, and having a teacher standing in front of them and saying no means no. And it's absolutely okay to identify as you identify. Mm. And it's also absolutely okay to change your mind. These kinds of small changes within um, the classroom, I can see making um, an impact. Yeah, it must be hugely empowering for those students to hear that from someone that they see in a position of authority, I suppose, and, and look up to. Well, with all of that in mind, I think it would be really helpful for our listeners to understand sort of what help is out there for schools um, and what resources they have av available to them, what they can reach out to to sort of support their teaching. A good place to start is kind of what resources there are. There's lots of support out there for teachers. So, for example, there are lots of free resources that teachers can take advantage of uh, through Brook, which is an amazing RSE organisation, as well as PSHE Association. Both of those bodies are very well recognised and they provide, you know, loads of different games and quizzes and worksheets and homework tasks um, that teachers can use as well. Um, and for example, at Sex of Matters, we have a free downloadable anti-harassment policy that any school can download off the back of um, Ofsted's expose into, you know, the normalisation of sexual abuse in schools. In addition, the government have very recently said that schools can take advantage of third party organisations to you know, any extent that they would find helpful. So, for example, they could get organisations like Sexhood Matters or there's loads of others as well that do it to come and give workshops in their schools or to train their teachers or to have a look over their curriculum to make sure that it's as you know, inclusive and effective as possible um, or to speak to parents. In parents' evenings, for example, like there's so many different ways that third-party organisations can really support teachers and bolster bolster everything that they're doing. And yeah, Sean, I don't know if you want to go into like why that third-party support might be helpful for teachers. Yes, of course. Third-party support is often invaluable as hearing for both students and for teachers as for students in particular hearing the same types of message from a range of different people and organizations affirms and kind of reinforces those messages often in really exciting and new ways um, which which I know that our students are really receptive to and I can imagine students up and down uh, the country and across the nations might feel the same for teachers, having a third party organisation in can ease the discomfort of the delivery and potentially tackling some of the taboos that they have faced in an environment where they might not feel comfortable talking about some of the content within the curriculum, which uh, is totally understandable if it's not their subject area. We've talked about specialist training. Um, that uh, third party organization like Sex Ed Matters uh, can really make uh, all the difference because, um, and again, I'm gonna talk about Sex Ed Matters because that's the organization that I, that I know best. Um, I know that Laura and Julia and the team have done a lot of hard, uh, have done a lot of hard work in to understand the curriculum, distilling the important and necessary knowledge and information. Um, and they work really hard in delivering the tough stuff in a clear, uh, quite objective and concise way that is teacher um, friendly and easy for teachers to, to kind of pick up and deliver, but also um, in turn through their, their, their graphics and, and the way that they present the ideas and, and, the, and the different content and knowledge, I guess, it's, it's ways that students can understand too. So really it is a, a one size fits all depending on which way, way you're looking at it. I have one final question that I'd like to ask you both. Um, and it would be, what one thing would you want teachers to take away from this, listening to this podcast, for them to implement into their approach in teaching and within, you know, the RSE curriculum? Is there one main takeaway? Laura, maybe we'll start with you. 
Um, I think it would be the power of the curriculum and not to be afraid of it, but to embrace that and how much it can really change people's perspectives on so many really important topics and that those perspectives can really like change the lives of their students. I know that sounds a bit cheesy, but it really can. So yeah, I think embracing the power of the new curriculum and letting that like empower teachers as well as students too. Lovely. Sean, have you got anything? Yes, and I would echo Laura's encouragement to embrace the curriculum and when in doubt, listen to your gut, seek support, ask questions, but embrace it. Thank you so much both for joining me today. Um, I've hugely enjoyed our discussion and I hope that you have too. Thank you.